I've been spending time lately in the manger, hanging out there with Jesus and Mary and a donkey sticking his head out of a cave, and I think an ox, maybe, some cow-looking creature there next to him. I've been spending a lot of time there lately because I have this painting. I think it's actually it's an old icon that I bought in Bethlehem back in 2006 that I keep on my desk. And for whatever reason lately, I've kind of kept it in front of me and I've just been spending time there, just spending time there in the manger with Jesus. And I think it's tempting for us to stay there in the manger. It's comfortable. Um, It doesn't necessarily have all the comforts of home, but at least it's familiar. We know what to expect in the manger. Baby Jesus, Mary, depending on which version you're looking at, maybe some camels and cows and real contemporary one. There's usually a dog and a cat. But it's familiar. We know what to expect, and so it's tempting to stay there with Jesus and Mary and the dogs and cats and camels and giraffes and whatever else. But sooner or later, we have to go out into the world. We have to leave the manger, and that's where we face temptation. Let's pray together. God, one more time, we want to ask you to keep temptations away from us. But for the times when we do see them and for the times when we give in, we ask that you deliver us from evil. In the name of Jesus, amen. So here's what the model of resisting temptation looks like. This is Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, 
All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him. And suddenly angels came and waited on him. Do you notice... Jesus answered three times. Do you know what the common factor is in all three of Jesus' answer? This is an open book quiz. You can look. It is written, and what else? God. Okay, now think about this. God is the common factor in everything it is written, but what does the written point to? It doesn't point just to the written. This is God. How do you deal with temptation? I mean, we could end the sermon right here. How do you deal with temptation? God. But, you know, most of us live in the real world, and you'd expect an answer like that on Sunday morning, right? How do you deal with temptation? God. Go home. Yeah, well, I live in a world where on Monday morning, from pretty much the minute I wake up, I mean, really, it's Sunday afternoon. Let's be realistic about it. I like the sound of, how do I deal with temptation? God. Well, of course we're going to say something like that in a room like this. That's kind of the thing you're supposed to say at church. What happens this afternoon, though, when you are stared right in the face with all kinds of things that you'd rather not be confronted with? What happens on Monday? What happens on Tuesday? What happens when you have to live your life not in this room, kind of, you know, the, the safety of the manger with Jesus and Mary and Joseph and all the animals? What happens? See, I think what's happening in Matthew, if we're looking at the big picture of Matthew, you have Matthew 4, Jesus faces temptation, this really kind of outlandish scene. I mean, really, think about this. You've got Satan, the devil, carting Jesus all over Israel and saying things that I, I honestly don't think he has the power to grant. I mean, that's, that's temptation, right? That sometimes people tempt us with things they don't have the power to actually give us. And we face that all day long. But anyway, outlandish scene. The devil, Satan, this tempter is taking Jesus all over the place and saying, well, what about this? I mean, he's just been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I fasted for 40 minutes one time and was ready to eat. I can't imagine what 40 days and 40 nights must have been like. But anyway... The text, the text tells us what we already know, right? You heard it. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and what does it say? And he was, yeah, hungry. NRSV says famished. Well, of course he was. So what's the first thing that Satan tempts him with? What he probably wants the most. What he misses? Food. You know, turn these, these stones into bread. Well, that's a temporary solution if ever there is one, but at least it's a temporary solution. 
So there's the model of Jesus resisting temptation. But we're not Jesus. You know, we are people of Jesus and we follow Jesus, but I, man, I'm telling you what, the way I eat, I, if, if Satan said, you have the power to turn these stones into bread, I'm thinking, that's going to come in really handy. I like that power. So I'm not Jesus. So what do I do? What do I do if I'm up on pinnacle of the temple and he says, here, do this circus act and everybody's going to be impressed? Well, I like impressing people. What am I going to do if I'm standing up on this super high place and says, the world is yours? I know that's, that's pretty tempting, but I'm not Jesus. So what do I do? Well, the answer was what we did right before the sermon. And it's a couple of chapters after the temptation. And it's this thing that we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Because during the Lord's Prayer, we say out loud to God, and lead us not into temptation. Which, I mean, I... I think something gets lost in translation there. I don't think God goes around leading us into temptation. I don't think God is some sort of, you know, trickster that's, oh, I'm going to try to tempt you today. Let's see if you can. I, I don't think that's the way God, I hope that's not the way God works. You know, if it is, okay, but I don't think that's the way it works. I think that when we pray that, it's really more us saying, God, please, Keep temptation far away from us. Keep it far away from us. I don't have the power. I'm not Jesus up on the temple. I'm not Jesus with the stones and the bread and all that stuff. I'm not even Jesus in the manger. I am me. And you're you. And we face temptation all day long. So we wake up in the morning and we say, God... Please keep us from temptation. Keep temptation far away from us. But you know what we do, right? We are people who like to travel. We are people who don't mind walking a little bit of extra distance if the temptation is really, really nice. It's like, you know, we're, we're saying to God in the morning, God, lead us not into temptation. And it's over here. and we'll, Lead us not into temptation, God. Here, pardon me for a minute, God. And we run right to it. And then what? Well, for those days when we give in to it, when those days when we sin, which, you know, it's only 1045, so the day is young. say, God, deliver us from evil. Because I don't know if you've met evil today, but if you hadn't, just wait. It's out there. And here's the trick. Here's the real kicker. 
if evil takes on all kinds of subtle forms, you know, it's, it's not, you know, there's lots of darkness and horrible things. That's evil, not belittling it. But sometimes evil takes on real subtle forms. And it's all around us. I love the scene. There's an old movie called Broadcast News. You know, it's old movie. It came out in the 80s. So, yeah, I guess now it's an old... Anyway, Broadcast News, William Hurt, Holly Hunter, Albert Brooks. I mean, this was a... This was, this is a big movie when it came out. It's long since been forgotten. But it's about broadcast news. So William Hurt is this very polished, tall, good-looking, suit-wearing broadcaster. And Albert Brooks, the other guy who works for the broadcast news station, um, will picture William Hurt. He's not William Hurt. Picture well-dressed, suit-wearing, hair is perfect, good-looking news broadcaster. Albert Brooks is the guy wearing the tweed jacket with the elbow patches and messy hair. But his character knows more about the news. He knows more about current events. and He really has a deep understanding of what's going on in the world. William Hurt's character has a deep understanding of how to comb his hair. He looks really good. And that, that movie was a social commentary on what news was becoming in the 1980s. Now, think if that movie was made today. You know, you talk about, I read a, uh, an interview a couple of weeks ago with the guy who used to be the like, head anchor person, whatever they called them, of the TV show Hard Copy. You know, that was kind of the old yellow journalism kind of show. And he said, when we came out with that show, newscasters looked at us and said, you know, that we were the devil. And then 20 years later, they became us. I even remember when I was growing up, the 6 o'clock news, you had 30 minutes of news news. And then you had 30 more minutes. And the, the same span that it took to tell us the stuff that we really needed to know with another news show called Entertainment Tonight. And I liked Entertainment Tonight better than the news. But it's because it's kind of the way that we were programmed. So back to William Hurt and Albert Brooks. They get into this argument right in the middle of the movie. And Albert Brooks, the messy guy, looks at William Hurt the well-coiffed guy, and says, you know what you are? You're the devil. You are the devil. And you know why you're the devil? It's not because you've got, you know, hooves and, you know, red skin, red cape and horns. You're not that kind of devil. You're the devil because you come and you present everything as the truth, but it's not really the truth. But you don't come out and say it. You don't come out and say, well, I'm going to tell you things, but it's not really the truth. You're never going to come out and say that. In fact, what you're going to do is you're going to offer something that looks almost, almost just like the truth, but it's not. It's not the truth. It is like you take an apple 
and you just shave a little bit off of it. You know, you don't, you don't cut the apple in and you just hack it into pieces. You just take a little bit off of it to where it's no longer really a whole apple. You just shave a little bit off of it and then you try to foist that onto us as that's reality when it's not. It just looks like it. You see, evil takes on all kinds of subtle forms. And we're faced all day long by people saying, here's this apple, you're going to love it. And then you get it and it's like, wait, did you, did you take a bite out of this already? When was the last time you bought something that you really, really wanted? Okay. You got it in your mind? Like something recent? You really wanted this jacket, you really wanted this pair of shoes, this car, this book. Got something in your mind? All right, what's next? What's the next thing you're going to buy? And now try to think back on something that maybe you bought a few years ago that has just kind of gotten old. It it's, doesn't have the excitement anymore. We live in an iPhone culture, right? You know what I'm talking about? I gotta have an iPhone 11. It's like, well, just a few years ago, you didn't think you could live without an iPhone 8. Boy, this quote that I read really has been getting to me. Keep in mind that the thing that's grown tired is something you once thought you couldn't live without. I think maybe the good news is we're at least starting to see these days. We're not there, but we're starting to see at least all the stuff for what it really is. I think many of us grew up in a society that was so consumer-based that we thought, you know, if I just buy this one next thing, it's going to make me happy. And they told us so. They told it so on Saturday morning cartoons. I mean, I grew up with it. You buy this cereal, and you're going to be happy. You buy this toy, and you're going to be happy. And then we got it, and it was like, man, the kids playing with that toy on TV looked like they were having a lot more fun than I'm having with this thing. <laughs> you know, they, they somehow moved the deal, and there was this explosion and all this music, you know, and I'm playing with it in the backyard, and it just kind of hits the wall, and... And then we grow up, and it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. They say, here, buy this thing. It's going to make you secure. Buy this medication. It'll make you well. You know, and then we take it, and it's like, I don't feel any better. As a matter of fact, I feel worse than I felt before I took it. It's just, okay, this doesn't hurt anymore, but now this really does. There's all this stuff, and there's all these ideas, and it all impacts the way that we deal with God because this has so much to do with my preferences and with my comfort zone. And then I start thinking about God and temptation and what this has to do with my relationship with the Lord 
as a person of Jesus, who we are as a church. There's all this stuff and there's all these ideas and then I go to God. And we tell God, God, we would really appreciate it if you do this, this, and this. And then we'll be happy. But most of the time, whatever we approach God with as this, this, and this, it has to do more with our comfort zone and our preferences than the kingdom of God. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? So much of this gets caught up in preference. And we go to God and we say, if you will just do us this one thing, we'll finally be happy. And I don't know, maybe sometimes God does it. And then we're like, eh, okay, God, there's this one more thing. If there's one thing that I have learned in hanging out with God for a few decades now, it's that God is not really all that concerned with my comfort zone. I am. I'm real interested in my comfort zone. That's why it's my comfort zone. God doesn't seem that concerned with it. What God seems to be modeling and teaching through the life of Jesus is a lifestyle of moving toward God and saying, deliver us from evil. We listen to Jesus and we listen to one another. And if we listen to Jesus, we probably should listen to what Jesus tells of all characters in the Bible, what Jesus tells Satan which is worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. I don't know if the big temptation these days anymore is serving stuff. Although we do. I mean, we, we serve stuff. But we also spend an awful lot of time serving ourselves in our own decisions, in our own preferences, and sometimes even what we call convictions. And then Jesus says it again. Probably what we need to hear when we look at God and say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus tells us what we need to hear the most today. Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. And then we say, Jesus, would you mind saying that one more time? And Jesus says, no, of course. I'm happy to tell you again. Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Amen.